Friends and travelers, however you've arrived, I bid you welcome. Here at Let's Be Frank, we're about lives, and above all, living well. I don't suspect a podcast hosted by Benjamin Franklin could be about anything else. In my lifetime, I pursued the practice of moral improvement like a science, recording my successes, and yes, oftentimes reveling in my failings. It's my genuine hope, with our weekly almanac, to feed to a curious world delicious morsels of history in quick and concise installments, perfect for a nice sit in your favorite chair, a morning walk to work. At the end of each installment, I like to wrap it all up in a neat little parcel with a lesson you can apply to your own life, inspired by the events, personalities, and ideas covered in each episode. So sit back, relax, and together, let's make history. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to another installment of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind with me, your faithful friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Welcome, my dear friends, to part two of A Fairy Tale Beginning, an interview with Dr. Abigail Fine about the history of fairy tales, their roots in 17th century France, and how they've expanded and stretched to the modern day. Now, my friends, if you haven't listened to the first half of our interview, do yourself a favor and examine last week's episode. We're going to pick up right where we left off, and talk about how fairy tales have changed in the 21st century, and hypothesize how they may change in centuries to come. We also released a special bit of content for our Patreon supporters, a version of Jean-Baptiste's Cinderella mentioned in this episode. Take a look at our Patreon for the full story. Speaking of our Patreon... And for those amongst our junto who've contemplated whether pledging their support to our cause is a worthy endeavor, let me take a moment, my dear friends, to speak to you. Yes, you directly. Here at Let's Be Frank, we would love your support and invite you to look at our Patreon and examine all the things that come with being an official member of our junto. We're looking to expand our family, and as we head towards Season 3, we're counting on your support. Any amount is appreciated, and as always, nothing is expected. I'm rich enough for your company. Now before we begin, let's reacquaint ourselves with our special guest. Abigail Fine recently completed her PhD in Comparative Literature from Queen Mary University of London. Her dissertation, Fantastic Transformations, The Evolution of Fairy Godparents in British and American Adaptations of Cinderella, focuses on the magical helper character in film and literary adaptations of Cinderella. Her research interests include fairy tale adaptations, fashion and costume studies, and children and young adult literature. She holds an MA in History from the College of William and Mary, and an MA in English Literature from Georgetown University. When we last left the interview, we were speaking of how the fairy tales of the 21st century have become classics, and how they're beginning to change in the 21st century. Now, Dr. Fine, first I want to welcome you back, and then I want to continue our conversation along the same line. Now, last week, I spoke to you of how the written word 
canonized so many of these stories to the point where, sitting in 2023, we call them classics, these modern takes on ancient stories. Now, I've been doing a considerable amount of research into your time through the marvelous invention of social media. Something that strikes me as wholly fascinating is the global conversation that seems to be happening upon matters political, philosophical, uh, literary, and otherwise. And uh, so many of the people in this grand salon of the internet uh, seem to have very distinct opinions of how stories should be told. So returning to the topic that we were speaking upon last episode, I'm curious to hear your opinion on how these new tellings on classic stories that are retellings of classic stories are transitioning into the modern world uh, to suit the fashions, the styles, the, the characteristics, and the cultures of the current world. Mm -hmm. I wonder, madam, if you would indulge me in a thought exercise. You've been carefully examining these fairy tales that have their origins in writing several hundred years ago, but in truth go back, perhaps, thousands of years. Now, I want you to, if you can, project yourself into the future. Five hundred years from now, a, a modest sum of time. What fairy tales are they telling? How are they taking these archetypes and styles, these patterns and these poetic rhymes, and retelling them in new ways. <sighs> or is it possible, in fact, they're not? That these stories don't change, that people don't change, that we find ourselves finding new ways to tell the same story. This is interesting because I do think that we have a fairy tale canon that has emerged because even as recently as the Grimm's, which is quite recently in terms of fairy tale history, uh, despite the dark original title that they often get, um, there were many, many tales. So the Grimm's published their first volume of tales in 1812 and they edited it through uh, 1854. And they had, I can't remember the exact number, but I do think it was somewhere around around 300 tales in their thing. Maybe it was less, but it's certainly over 100. Um, and today, most of us can probably name 10 to 15 fairy tales. Um, and even when you go and you get a book that is a collection of fairy tales, even a Grimm's collection of fairy tales, you're not going to get all their tales anymore unless you go and get an academic translated version of the Grimm's like Jack Zipes who is great at translating the Grimm's and has translated multiple of their editions um so right now I would say we have Little Red Riding Hood we have Cinderella um we have Beauty and the Beast we have oh several others Little Mermaid which is a Hans Christian Andersen very literary version um so we have these versions of the tales and about 10 to 15 that are in circulation. I do wonder if we'll start to incorporate other tales. I know Bluebeard, uh, which 
is canonical, but is not as in favor, having never been, you know, made into a Disney version for for obvious reasons. Um, Bluebeard uh, has gotten very popular. I was at a conference earlier this year, and it seemed as if about half of the papers were about Bluebeard and new adaptations of Bluebeard or the way that Bluebeard is being seen in culture. And um, Maria Tater, who's a wonderful scholar, actually looked at the Jordan Peele film Get Out as a gender-reversed Bluebeard um, with obvious like commentary on race in America. And I thought that was a fascinating take. She says she doesn't think that Peele did that conscientiously, but that those themes are in the film. So I do wonder if maybe it'll be subliminal themes of some of these stories going through. I do think, given the longevity of some of these tales and the popularity, particularly Cinderella, I think that will continue. I think we will see that going forward. I mean, there are multiple new versions every year. And when I was doing my PhD, it was getting very difficult to keep up with the new versions because I was going through... 2021 um so it was a large swath of time and I was writing it from 2018 and every year there would be the Amazon version with Billy Porter there would be new novelizations and I uh, there was the the Gonzorella Muppet version the short (laughs) version um I at Christmas last year um in Britain there's a series which they did make for America but I prefer the BBC British version called Ghosts and um it's about this couple that lives in a house with ghosts and the woman and the couple can see the ghosts. And uh, they decided to put on a British pantomime, which is a traditional Christmas entertainment in Britain. The ghosts decided to put on a panto for Alice and they decided to, or for Alison, and they decided to do Cinderella. And uh, I was watching it to relax on Christmas Day with my family. And suddenly I thought, oh no, I have to incorporate this into the conclusion of my PhD. I am now I am now working and have my analytical brain on. Um, so it will crop up everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, Cinderella as we know it hasn't even been around for 500 years yet. The word hasn't been in the English language for 500 years yet, but I think it, may be still in the world in 500 years. It's hard to say, though. It's humbling to think that something we view as so timeless, as in truth, not existed on this earth yet for 500 years. It truly makes the difference between where you sit and where I sit seem that much smaller. It truly seems uh, to allow the past to speak to the future. Now, Dr. Fine, have you found a, a difference and how people in the United Kingdom view these fairy tales versus how Americans view these fairy tales? Interestingly, there isn't that much difference in terms of Cinderella, which I study in particular. Um, And I think that that is because of the Disney version. I think there is more of a difference if you go back a bit earlier, but there's also the fact that for so, because the United States started as colonies of Britain, um, for Anglo-Americans that were here, these tales came over as editions that were printed in Scotland or in London. Um, And so the English and British versions were what became popular in America. I would say 
the only major difference I found is in these pantomimes. The Cinderella pantomime, or panto, is very, very popular in Britain. They do several rotating ones, Jack and the Beanstalk, um, Dick Whittington and his cat, um, and each year you'll get a different panto. But Cinderella is always very, very popular. And it actually follows the opera storyline a lot more than anything else. So there's a character called Buttons. And when I first moved to the UK and said that I was doing a Cinderella PhD, people would say, oh, that's so amazing. What do you think of Buttons? And I was like, Buttons? (laughs) Who is Buttons? Um, And Buttons is Cinderella's best friend (laughs) who maybe has a crush on her uh, and or or not. Sometimes not. Sometimes has a crush on the stepsister, depending on what panto you're at. Um, But it is... It's fascinating to look at how these pantos use and change the story. And again, I think they are also having now to contend with the Disney version. Most of the versions I see, she's wearing a blue dress, which you don't see her wearing a blue dress prior to the Disney one. Although you could argue that in the animated version, it is silver rather than blue, uh, but it's now become associated with blue. Um, But there's just, and there's a lot of, interesting play with um, representation, both like racial and LGBTQ plus representation in the story now. And I think that's something that fairy tales lend themselves to is this kind of identity play and the way that you can change characters and, uh, and, and motifs to make comments on contemporary ideas about gender or about race. Um, in particular, like um, thinking of a panto that I saw where Buttons was a woman and ends up in the end in love with and having a relationship with one of the stepsisters. And it was very sweet and the stepsister ended up being very kind. Um, so there's that kind of representation. Um, and like I said, there's the Ash version um, in which Cinderella is actually ends up with um, a female lover, which is very interesting because you usually see Cinderella staying very um, heterosexual and the fairy godparent is usually where there's more gender play and sexual orientation play. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting how we can see these tales evolving to continue to participate in contemporary cultural discussions. Fascinating. My final question is for you, Dr. Fine, and it's a question I ask all of my visitors upon my show. Now, what is it about studying history and examining these stories that sets you on fire? Hmm. Well, I think the idea of storytelling has really taken off in the past decade even as a job title, even at tech companies where you become the storyteller. Um, And I think in the 21st century, probably because of the rise of social media, there's been a real emphasis on personal branding and this idea that we all must have a personal brand or a personal story uh, that is um, emblematic in some way of who we are. And I think that that can end up being narrow. And I like the idea that these stories are in some way narrow. If you say a Cinderella story, everybody has sort of these key moments that they can think of, 
But I have seen this story in so many ways. I mean, I think I had to bound my study a little bit because I I couldn't do every single version that's ever existed. But I'm pretty sure my primary sources, I think I had 86 primary source Cinderella's just in the 20th, like in one century from 1922 to 2021. There were 86 versions. That doesn't count any of the earlier ones that I read. Um, Doesn't count the silent film versions, any of that. So there's so many ways to tell these fairy tales. And I think looking at how you can be one thing, but be multiple things is really, really fascinating. And that's, I think what I like about it most also There's a quote from Terry Pratchett, uh, who is an author here in the 21st century, uh, 20th and 21st century. Um, He's unfortunately passed away, but he did a wonderful fantasy novel series called Discworld. And in one of those books called Witches Abroad, it is a fairy tale pastiche novel in which three of his iconic characters are going to help a girl named (laughs) Emberella. to not attend the ball. Um, But it begins, and there's a quote that he writes that says, people think that stories are shaped by people. In fact, it's the other way around. So what he's saying is, people are shaped by stories. And I think that that's a really vital point. Um, So what what are our stories now? Um, Who is telling those stories? Who's in control of those stories? How are these stories being adapted and used? Um, You know, we can see that there's kind of a hegemony of Disney, uh, and that's a very corporate mode of fairy tale storytelling. But under that surface, I see so many writers, a lot of people who identify as women writing like children's and YA novel versions of these fairy tales that end up being so radical uh, and so different from what Disney is doing. Um, There's, I'm just going to quickly shout out one of my favorite versions, which is called Disenchanted, The Trials of Cinderella by Megan Morrison. And it takes place in a fantasy world. Cinderella's in the blue kingdom, but it really engages with um, our 21st century problem of fast fashion, which Mr. Franklin, you're so lucky you did not have to deal with that. Um, certainly fashion was on the rise, but not not to the ecological harm degree that it is here in the 21st century. Um, but it it looks at the way that there are unfair working conditions at the human cost of fast fashion. Um, but it's all tied up in this really wonderful story of of fantasy and so it teaches you these lessons without feeling like a lecture um, and certainly that was the book it came out in 2016 and that was the book that first really made me think about what the possibilities were for this tale um, so yeah I think ultimately it's if people are shaped by stories whose stories are you listening to and what are they saying Dr. Fine, I want to thank you for being my guest upon this show and for allowing our time together to stretch these two weeks. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
Now I wonder if you might remain for a brief period of time and well, tell me a little bit more about this new world of social media. I'm still trying to learn what a trend is and why it's good if something goes viral. So I'd be privileged to have a, well, a more contemporary perspective on some of these things I'm trying to wrap my head around. Allow me to bid farewell to our junto and we'll continue our conversation. Now what lesson can we derive upon week two of our examination of fairy tales. It is something coveted by a great many people uh, to acquire the classic fairy tale ending. But I wonder, dear listener, uh, what is the benefit of a story ending, of business concluding? Moreover, it was, I believe, Ovid who said that nothing ends, everything changes. So, dear listener, as you find yourself pursuing your dreams, as you find yourself chasing that fairy tale ending, as you find yourself asking, what good can I do in the world? Well, I encourage you today, in chasing your fairy tale ending, to also pursue your fairy tale beginnings. And when you find those beginnings, my beloved Junto, my friends who I prize above all others, well, ensure that your next beginning is far more fantastical than your last ending. That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours in the day, but as always, we have nothing but time between us. Resource materials and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal section at www.bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Facebook at Let's Be Frank and Instagram at Be Franklin Live. And finally, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well. And always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends. <laughs>